2: Hi, everyone.
3: Thanks so much for being here. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. I come to you from Glendale, Arizona, the site of Super Bowl 57, which is now in the history books with a of uh, just a heart-pounding three-point victory for uh, the team Andy Reid used to coach but no longer does. I'm talking about the Kansas City Chiefs, the world champions, once again, and we might have uh, somebody who's going to threaten, uh, eventually, Tom Brady's seven Super Bowls when Patrick Mahomes walks away as the MVP, uh, even though he kind of limps away because – We know how bad that high ankle sprain was still. Before we get to our first guest, and we won't just be talking about the Super Bowl. I actually have Roseanne Barr in about 15 minutes and Kellyanne Conway at the bottom of the hour. Uh, Bob Glauber from Newsday is standing by, so let's get to the big three. Actually, let's not not do that. Let's keep it here. Uh, I had a short-term memory loss. I apologize. Uh, So I want you to hear a little bit of the final moments, then we'll bring in Bob. Cut five.
4: Quick throw. Tony's got it. Tony walks in. Touchdown, Kansas City! Blitz coming, Mahomes, man wide open! Touchdown, Chiefs, at Skymore! First and goal, they try to shove Hurts over the end zone, waiting for a signal. He's in! Touchdown, Eagles! Hurts, looking for a block, and he gets there! He's in! We're tied at Super Bowl 57! Tied at
3: 35 until Kansas City controlled the game, a controversial call along the way, but they would go in and wait, wait, wait to leave in 8 seconds on 8 seconds on the clock they'd convert a short field goal and then hold on for the victory. Joining us now is Bob Glauber, not only a columnist for Newsday, also author of The Forgotten First and Guts and Genius. Bob, where would you rank this in terms of all-time great Super Bowls?
5: Oh, Brian, it's got to be top 10, maybe top 5. I think, you know, the fact that it ended, you know, with that kind of controversy on that kind of call maybe takes a little bit out of it, but that was a great football game. And, you know, and, and Kansas City has done this a number of times. You look in the first half, it's like, oh, man, they, they just don't have it. And, you know, way back in the day, Brian, you know, Super Bowls would kind of, they, they'd get away from things, and it's, they'd get these blowouts, and it almost yeah. had that feeling, right? But, but then Patrick Mahomes just gathers himself, and he comes back, and he adds one more word to his arsenal of achievements, and that is warrior. I mean, he 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 didn't have to. He, he hasn't had to do anything quite like he did with the spring throughout the playoffs, and and he did it. And the guy is just incredible.
3: And, and Bob, here's what he said after cut one.
4: I thought the first Super Bowl was just kind of like, oh, it's this is amazing. Like we won the Super Bowl. Like this is happy. Like you're just like a little kid winning 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 a
3: prize at, at the at the fair. I mean, it, whereas this one, you've dealt with failure. You understand how hard it is uh, to get back on this stage and to win this game because he lost last time he played in it to Tom mm-hmm. Brady and the Buccaneers and again he wasn't 100% healthy so he said afterwards Bob, he's like no no one shot me up with painkillers but we did some work on it do you have can you cut between the lines there
5: <laughs> well Look, I, I don't know that any team or any player is going to divulge all the secrets uh, that are, that go into that. But it was pretty remarkable to see him get hurt at the end of the first half, limp off. You say, "Oh no!" It just it just aggravated it. You know, if you've had a sprained ankle and then you you re-injure it, it's just it's just so painful. It's just it's a tough setback. But um, I, I don't know if it was um, you know retaping, maybe a little bit of. There had to be some. Some something that that made it feel at least functional, where he could he could play. And then you know that scramble near the end of the game. I'm oh like, God, this, this guy, it's it's incredible.
3: So it's, it was a defensive, uh, uh, it was an interference called, a holding called on uh, on James Bradbury, the former New York Giant. He's a, mm-hmm. a fantastic player. Giants couldn't afford him because of some bad salary structure. But he said, Hey, you know, I held. I thought they'd let it go, but they didn't. And then uh, the Eagles coach says, uh, Siriano says, yeah, that's not the reason why we lost. And I give them so much credit. I just think it's so underappreciated how you lose. Now, I know they must be crushed, and we heard Olsen in the, in the booth and everybody like you just say they that's a call that probably shouldn't have been made. But what about the class of those two men?
5: My, Brian, I thought the same thing, and I'm glad you said it like that because I was expecting a lot of – uh, complaining from the Eagles after that game, I, I really was. Now you'll hear it on the Philadelphia airwaves uh, today on radio and TV. It's already going on. You know, bad call, bad call at the wrong time. But you know, it was a proper call. It, it just it was holding, and I really commend Sirianni and Bradbury, especially. You know, the, 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 that was a stand up moment for a guy I've been around for a couple of years. He's James Bradbury is, is, is as classy as there is in the NFL, he and he owned up to it. And it was a penalty. Look, it it, it kind it obviously took away from the drama of the final part of the game because Kansas City was able to bleed the clock and then just win it on basically the final play. But, it, you know, it was a penalty. And I think that, you know, the ball was really overthrown and Juju Smith-Schuster was nowhere near. But why? Because he was held. I think that was a walk-in touchdown if, if he doesn't get held, or at least it's at least close um, to being a completion.
3: Here is Nick Sirianni, not on this, but just on, on the loss. Cut 10. Going into uh, the San Francisco game, we talked a lot about, you know,
6: that we knew we were physically tough, and I just wanted to remind them how mentally tough they were. So going into that game, we talked about some failures that we had in our lives that we've overcome to get into the position that we were in last week and into obviously into this position that we're in this week. So i just reminded them of that, you know, all the the things that we've went through in our lives that, you know, was was something that was adversity that we'll overcome this too because uh, you know, the type of guys that we have in there that
0: will use this to motivate motivate us, we'll use this pain, we'll use this failure to motivate us so we can make it a strength.
3: Uh there you go. Uh so Nick Ceriani, obviously, 2 years ago they were in total disarray four wins uh, after the controversy about the where they threw their other game in the street and they in that terrible NFC East, they had to crown a champion, and I believe Philadelphia, if they won, they would have put the Giants in or kept them in contention. But they threw the game in the street with a with a lightly used quarterback. So that team ends up in total turmoil. He turns him around in one year, gets him in the playoffs, and then this year gets him in the Super Bowl. Uh, how has he done it, Bob?
5: You know, he's an interesting coach because, Brian, his first press conference, he was really bad, and he just bombed. He just kept talking, and it was it was just weird. And you know what? Rather than just kind of try to avoid it, he embraced it. He just said, look, I, w- I was terrible. And he got better over time, and he kind of used himself as an example of how you get better, and that team got better. And Howie Roseman, the general manager, built a really good football team. And the improvement of Jalen Hurts this year into an MVP caliber quarterback, you know Brian. He could have been the MVP of that game yesterday. Yeah, it no, was question. really close, right? Um, so I, I think they've done it through good, aggressive roster building, and Sirianni is a good, uh, impressive offensive mind. They do it a little differently. They're very ground centric, um, including with Jalen Hurts. But it's, it's an effective formula. And, and here's what I like about this year's Eagles, just like last year's Bengals. You know, back not, not too long ago, it was like if you lose the Super Bowl, you're going to disappear. You're done. You can't get back. And, and it was just, you know, mind-boggling how few teams who won, went to the Super Bowl lost just never recovered. Well, since he came close to, you know, advancing deep in the playoffs, they had a really good season. And I think Philadelphia can do the same next year. So it's not, it's not this sentence of, like, you're, you're just going to disappear if you lose the Super Bowl. And I think Philly will be a good team for a long time.
3: Yeah, just a question, a local question, being that you, you write for Newsday, how close to the Giants? Because they were, they were three times totally dominated in two of those games. How how much further can they go? Because their coach yeah. was coach of the year this year.
5: Yeah, I mean they they went as far as they went because of Brian Dable being coach of the year, and you know a lot of times you see one team kind of come from nowhere and and make a run like the Giants, totally unexpected, and then there'll be a little regression the next year. So you know don't don't discount that. I still think they're several pieces away from contending for a championship, but at least they got the coach and the general manager, Joe Shane, in place. And it looks like they're they're finally the right guys after just a lot of flopping around after Tom Coughlin left the team.
3: Yeah, last question. Aaron Rodgers to the Jets. How close is that? The Jets made a formal inquiry, I heard.
5: Yeah, the Jets are interested in Aaron Rodgers. They're interested in Derek Carr. Those are the two prime, um, you know, potential acquisitions at quarterback in the offseason with Jimmy Garoppolo a distant third. So, you know, it it's hard to know if Green Bay is going to to bite on something the Jets would want to would want to trade for. So, I think those two quarterbacks, Rodgers and Carr, are going to be the targets and, you know, the Jets are going to make an aggressive push. Joe Douglas really will stop at nothing to try to improve the quarterback position after, you know, essentially um you know, bombing in the draft last year with Zach Wilson,
3: right? But uh, but they did not bomb building that defense with Sauce no, Gardner, and they are and yeah, that makes them great. think that they could get a quarterback and and go far. Uh, Bob, always great to talk to you, especially after uh, after a Super Bowl. Uh, Bob Glaber, thanks so much, appreciate it, and pick up uh, it, any of it. Yeah, pick up any of his books. Uh, they are the Forgotten First and Guts and Genius. Thanks, Bob. All right, when we come back, we're all following the story with this Chinese uh, series of balloons, at least one confirmed. We've taken down three others. We have not really recovered a substantial amount of the wreckage. We'll follow this story because they say we're doing the same thing to them. Roseanne Barr is next. Then the great Kellyanne Conway will be here. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show in Glendale, Arizona.
2: It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
9: We could have had her come on my show, and she could have, you know, read me the who's it, and she could have dressed me down. We could have had a teachable moment that they're all talking about. She could have come on. I could have had 15 times the ratings, and I could have learned something on behalf and shown something to America, which I always wanted to do that very thing anyway, bringing people together and learn about each other, right? When we have made mistakes, for we can learn to get along, for God's sake. But no, they didn't want to do that, and that pissed me off.
3: So that is the comeback of Roseanne Barr, and it begins on Fox Nation. And uh, the Fox Nation is the world's uh, favorite app, I believe, and it's fantastic. And Roseanne Barr has got a brand-new special, and she joins me now. She's in my studio, and I'm stuck outside the Super Bowl. Roseanne, Welcome.
9: Thank you. Nice to be here.
3: Roseanne, what was it like being on stage? It's called Cancel This.
9: Yeah. It was a blast. It it was really fun. I was nervous, but... uh, Were you nervous? Yeah. Really? It it had been a long time, but um, I warmed up in quite a few places in Texas and in L.A., and so, uh, you know, I was excited to get out there and start telling my jokes and see people laughing. Um, It was exciting.
3: So you you taped in Houston at the Cullen Theater mm-hmm. with a live audience. Mm-hmm. So when did you uh, – obviously you address the whole controversy with Valerie Jarrett.
9: Yeah, I got to finally have my say after these five years. Uh, I got How, to explain what happened and uh, the way I was treated and, um, you know, talk about uh, all of it in my own words. So that was which, wonderful because it, it had been a long time.
3: So – so you know, it's, if someone says, "Hey, Roseanne, we need you to we speak," and you got it, here's the here's the part I want to tell you about, and this is serious, and this isn't, and but to be funny at the same time, talk about something so serious, and that did such damage uh, to your career. Where do you? Where does the comedy come in?
9: Well, it's uh, all woven through. I mean, you know, uh, there were some serious moments. Uh, well, I won't say serious, but e- e- explaining. Because I wanted people to know. So, uh, you know, the comedy comes through, all through. You can say anything funny. You can make anything funny if you're a comic and you've been a comic for a long time. For me, I've been a comic almost 40 years. So I know how to make pretty much anything funny. (laughs) And uh, so, you know, I worked um, for a while, long time, to uh, be able to tell the story and tell it in a funny way. And have some distance from it. You know, that's what makes things funny is uh, comedy is uh, trauma plus time.
3: So Roseanne Barr is taken over my studio. I don't resent her at all. In fact, I'm honored she's there. Uh, her new special is called Cancel This, available on Fox Nation, done in front of a live audience. Your first appearance since all the controversy came up. So, Roseanne, is the goal this just being the first? Do you plan on really heating up and going uh, doing a series of dates that so people can see you across the country?
9: Well, it looks that way. Uh, I'm going to say uh, probably it looks that way, yeah. I'm getting a lot of offers, and I'm kind of on fire to do it. Once I got in front of the audiences that I've been in front of, kind of lit a fire back in me, you know, and um, uh, it was exciting to have people in the audience egg me on. That's my favorite thing is when the audience (laughs) eggs me on, and I go off script, and that was really a blast. Uh, The things I've done in Texas, Austin, and um, San Antonio, and other places in Texas and in Los Angeles, being egged on by a very young audience, which is uh, i 'm appreciative of it 's just fun you know it 's just been a blast, so, so I am looking to... at going right. uh, and doing some dates
3: so you don 't have the market cornered on people them' trying to cancel, uh, arguably one of the hottest comics in America, and certainly a comics comic, the most respected I would say, Dave Chappelle, everywhere you go he can 't go two or three weeks without somebody trying to. Uh, upset him or uh, when his appearance comes them showing that they're upset that he's there well he's very lucky
9: he's very lucky because the people who um you know that he uh does his uh jokes for the people that he performs for always back him so that's the difference between him and me and other comics is that he always has the backing of the people on Netflix, and they always stand up for him and come to the fore for him. And that makes him different from all the rest of us who don't get that. So um, we, I didn't get that, and other comics don't get that. So he, he's uh, very privileged in that, that he does get that.
3: Right, but it, and really he's kind of walking through the fire. I mean, he had two people charge him on stage. Yeah, or...
9: that was just incredible. And and they weren't charged, and that really made me so angry that uh, that made it like uh, kind of uh, open, seasons, open season on any comedian. And uh, that's just horrifying that in a free, a free speech country that that would be allowed. And that, of course, it was California where they weren't charged for like rushing the stage to try to kill a performer the guy should have be, should be in prison right now i don't care if he's mentally ill or not he should be in prison for for doing that and and had it been a singer or any other form of uh performer it, the person would be in jail it's just horrifying that they did that to a comic but you know uh did you find Davis Dave uh, Dave uh is also kind of protected in the fact that he's able to say really offensive and I'm a Jew. So I found his performance on Saturday Night Live to be very anti-Semitic and he was very protected in being bigoted too by NBC. And that upset me because, you know, mine was a joke and his was uh, serious bigotry and mine was a mistake because I say in my act that I I racially misgendered someone I assumed to be a white woman. But uh, Dave was like purposely offending, you know, who I am and got away with it and was protected for doing it, which to me, that shows what a double standard everything in this country is about. And and, uh, sometimes I say that if it wasn't for double standards, people, certain people in this country on... um, the right. left side, they'd have no standards whatsoever, and it really yeah. makes me mad. And that's part of what drove me to come back. I'm tired gotcha. of double standards, and I, I so, fell know on Fox- the sword of double standards. And
3: you did, and, and I, so I'm Nation. coming back. Yep, Fox Nation is uh, saying, Roseanne, you are back. Go watch her special. Thanks, Roseanne.
2: Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: Hi, everyone. Welcome back. We're outside State Farm Stadium, uh, the home of Super Bowl 57, which is now in the books, finished hours ago. Uh, Someone who knows that very well is Kellyanne Conway, former senior counselor to President Trump, author of the book, Here's the Deal, Fox News contributor, and wearing still, despite their loss... Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles regalia. And I'm surprised you're not you're not gonna quit on the team?
1: Never. 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 Birds fans are the most loyal. It felt like a Eagles home game yesterday. It really did. Farm, Brian. It was crazy.
3: You, would you support the booing of Dak Prescott getting man of the year? I thought I it mean, was, come on. I
1: think it's just a reaction to Dak Prescott, the quarterback of the Cowgirls. I mean Cowboys. Uh it wasn't real it had nothing to do with the Walter Payton Man of the Year award. <laughs> they did the same when they showed um Santa. No, well, no, Santa, come on. That's stereotypical. And uh, no, they did the same when they were showing some of the Hall of Famers. I think they showed one of the Dallas Cowboys uh, receivers or whatnot. But it was nice to see people like Joe Klecko finally get – Honored.
3: Yeah, Joe Clicko and uh, Revis, too. Jets and Revis. So, it was yeah. really
1: nice because these guys, you know, they you played so long him? ago. Of course. Oh, yeah. Now, I'm a big fan, and I grew up a tomboy. My cousin Jay was 10 months older than me. He didn't have a brother, so he made it me. So I know everything about football. Get gets you a lot of free drinks when you're in college. girl who knows football.
3: Oh, uh, Absolutely, and probably still can. Right? <laughs>
1: I'll check it out.
3: Right. Yeah, <laughs> let's see. Uh, maybe a little bit later. Soon we can drink. We might. I might I'm going to be off in two hours. Um, so, so Kellyanne, there's, there's a couple of things. So we talked about the game. I want to talk about class Uh, Nick Sirianni at the end says it wasn't one play that lost the game. That's right. And James Bradbury saying, I did hold them. I thought they would let it pass. How great is that? No, it's never hear that. And there's so much pressure on the referees. He goes, they got to make snap decisions. I go, there's so little emphasis on how you lose. And when someone shows you the way to lose, they're as disappointed as anyone. But how you lose to find your character. Total
1: class and grace. And I think this uh, Eagles team is young. The Sirianni Hurts era is just starting. And you saw a glimpse of that in those kinds of comments. I think the Eagles organization is taking the long view. So you made it to the Super Bowl, best team in football this year, uh, clearly deserved to be on the field yesterday, as did Mahomes and the Chiefs. But they're taking the long view. We're going to have exciting games here on out. The other thing is, I think the call – look, the Bradbury call. It's nice for Bradbury to say that. The fans were really upset. Red zone, late in the game. What do you think? Um, I, I think it was marginal. I don't know that he was holding in the way that restricted the ability of the receiver to receive. The call that bothered me was a Devontae Smith um, catch that was called back. That cheated Andy Reid – he challenged that, and they reversed it. I think he was clearly in bounds, and that was a catch, and that, that hurt us. But it's never one play. It's never one player, yeah. and we should make that clear. I mean, Jalen Hurts had an amazing first half, was, broke a record yeah. for a quarterback in a Super Bowl, and then Mahomes was untouched in the second half, four consecutive scoring drives. You can't have a game where Patrick Mahomes, the NFL MVP of the year, now the Super Bowl 57 MVP, he was untouched, four consecutive scoring drives. And frankly, my birds, uh, you know, you, in the red zone twice, they converted it to field goals, not touchdowns. So it's never one call. It's everyone. I got to give Rihanna props, though. I mean, everybody does spends all this money on their pregnancy reveals or gender reveals. She just sort of unzipped her whatever that was jumpsuit at the right. at the Super Bowl and said, "Hey." I got a baby bump.
3: Is that what the grabbing was? Was she hinting about that? I have no idea what that was all about. I had my four teenagers there. Um,
1: I mean, they don't need, I don't know that it was X-rated. It wasn't exactly PG. But they, they really enjoyed it. They felt like they went to a concert and a Super Bowl. Great memories for my kids. You broke the bank. I said, your two nights in Arizona are the family vacation this year. Last year was Hawaii for 10 days. This year is two days in Arizona.
3: You know, you and I have something in common. During the whole problem that Trump had with Charlottesville, we were both in Yellowstone.
1: That is true. We were.
3: I was we were. there. I mean, we. Just, I just found out. I think I texted you someone, and I could I didn't have any Wi-Fi. Did you notice that in Yellowstone? You don't have any Wi-Fi. Were you able to get out? You have some supersonic Wi-Fi because it was it was not in the place we were staying at. They don't have it around. I was
1: happy to be off the grid. Brian. Right. All of a
3: sudden, we go by. <laughs> NBC the...
1: News was trying to th- send a crew in a truck to me to get uh, a they were? I'm Like we're off the grid here. Yeah, but
3: we would <laughs> we'd love to have gotten. At the coaching best time. There. I had
1: turned fifty, and that was my fiftieth state. Montana was my 50th and final state to have visited into all of them. I've done projects in all of them. And uh, I tried to do this. I did the zip line with my four kids. And there I was trying to be the cool mom at 50 going across. your like 200 yards up in the air. It's really very frightening. But what a great time and what a beautiful state.
3: True. Uh, and by the way if you have to shoot down a balloon anywhere Montana is a place
1: well Governor GM40 said that last week I was at the RGA listening to the governor speak and he actually said he said we can do it over Montana he was given all the statistics but he still you know he still was very offended as we all are there's just this lack of transparency and accountability and just basic information Brian about what's going on in our skies
3: on the word information it's inaccurate to say you cannot, Uh, you cannot shoot down a balloon in Montana. I'm talking to Ryan Zinke, Senator Daines. You said you absolutely can. So the president is not being, he's being disingenuous when he says they told me I can't. The military is is not being candid when they say it was too much of a risk. When they say they're afraid it's going to hit a school. Really? Look around. Do you have Google Earth? There's nothing there. And these Republican officials are telling you, Shoot it down.
1: They're actually giving places where you could do it safely. I heard the governor say last week. I was also with Senator Daines last week for something. And you're absolutely correct. They Look, I don't like the fact that we feel like we're in the dark. It'd be one thing. If the president said, Hey, I'm the commander in chief of the President of the United States, the military right now has told us we can't comment. We're sure. investing. He's not saying any of that. He's doing what he usually does with everything, Brian. Instead of raising his eyebrows like the rest of the country is, he's shrugging his shoulders. And this is way too important. We're upset about China. You have 20 governors now who have banned TikTok on government devices, including in Republican. Governor-led states like Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Wisconsin, you have flippant Gretchen Whitmer who acts like an attention-seeking teen refusing to do that because it would, I guess, take away part of her fun in Michigan. But no joke, China – Goodness. She says, I
3: have to communicate.
1: I know. Well, if you have to communicate on TikTok, then you ought not to have that job. I think she likes to connect with those um, 20-somethings who she locked down for the better part of school, two school years on their college campuses, who stood in the line for five and six hours this time and voted for her, sadly.
3: Right. I want you to hear what I like, and we talked about this. You don't really watch this Sunday shows. I like his contrast. When you have somebody who's normally anti-Trump, go for Trump, when you have someone that goes out of their way to praise Joe Biden, uh, holding it accountable, yeah. Holding accountable. So here's Jim Himes, ranking member of the Intelligence Committee, cut 13.
10: I have real concerns about why the uh, administration is not being more forthcoming with everything that it knows. But part of the problem here is that the, both of the, the second and the third uh, – objects were shot down in very remote areas. So my, my, my guess is that, mm-hmm. that there's just not a lot of information out there yet to share. You know, the one thing, Chuck, that is troubling me here, uh, I sort of see a pattern. I, as I looked at social media this morning, you know, all of a sudden, massive speculation about alien invasions and, you know, additional Chinese action yeah. or Russian action. Uh, in the absence of information, people's anxiety leads them into uh, potentially destructive areas. It's
3: disrespectful. It's disrespectful.
1: It is, and information is the magical elixir to reduce or eradicate speculation. So let's have some. If you have Jim Hines given his uh, position on the committee, saying this, then he's not telling us what members often will say across the aisle, Brian. Which is, "Hey, we got a briefing, but I can't discuss it with you, Chuck." We got a. He's not saying that. Brian. No, he isn't. He's saying that he knows as little as you and I do.
3: Which is crazy. It's insane. Uh, and the thing is, this is an ongoing thing. He wants to live off his State of the Union address. Before, uh, before I, um, I want to zigzag a little. Before I go back and try to expand on what exactly happened, because we know what they lost in Montana over the weekend. They shot down on Lake Huron, uh, and it looks like they could be more likely, uh, according to some weather balloons. So why weren't they picked up? Why weren't we go? Why weren't we balloon worthy during the last four years? Uh, and they say, well, this happened before. What do you mean? it ha- Whoa. whoa. happened before. You have the tape? Is it like rolling back your ring doorbell and seeing past balloon stories? So there's nothing about it that I don't have a a problem with. But but having said that, um, do you have a a problem with the fact that Joe Biden continues to want to live off a moment? He wants that State of the Union address to last. I don't look at his statement about Social Security and Medicare not being touched as a win for him. Because Republicans had never had any intention of touching it.
1: It's not a win for him. He lied, and he lies routinely, as does his press secretary from the podium. But he's,
3: Lugo, he's playing off Rick Scott's uh, proposal.
1: Sure. But, he's, but, again, he's doing what Joe Biden has done since day one of his presidency when he promised to unify the country. He's dividing us, whether he's dividing us on policy, dividing us through his lies, dividing us through a chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan – Um, canceling those pipelines, inflation. Most Americans, Brian, regardless of what economists say, most Americans feel like we're headed to a recession. They feel less financially stable and prosperous under Joe Biden. So when he says that about Republicans touching Social Security, that is a lie. Everybody has said it's not true from Rick Scott to Mitch McConnell to Kevin McCarthy all the way to Donald Trump. Everybody has said that. And so when when, when he tries to spin it, and now I just saw yesterday on Fox News – Somebody was um, somebody was on media buzz, Howie Show, saying, "Oh, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, the head of the Republican Party. That's what they want. They, now they want her. They're just going to choose who the face is. It's not going to work because people know better. And I think that um, for Joe Biden to be lying about things, he's also lying about his own record. I think Fox News and and radio shows have done a great job this past week rolling the tape from 1995 of Joe Biden emphatically in the Senate on the Senate floor." making the case on why we have to reform Medicare and Social Security to save it. So Joe, President Joe Biden is in constant conflict with Senator Joe Biden, and oh, people yes. should see that.
3: That's true. The other thing is Rick Scott did say we have to look at our non-discretionary spending. And he said one of the things he brought up is that we have to sunset and reevaluate on a regular basis. Politically clumsy financially, if we're sitting around uh, shooting the breeze, having a few beers with a bunch of very smart economists and CEOs, that might be what they say. But why put it out there and then have to walk it back for the next few months and then double and triple down on it? They are somewhat fractured. But do you think that if Republicans make AOC the face of the Democratic Party, are they also accurately being described as divisive?
1: I want to tell you who I think the leader of the Democratic Party is, Joe Biden. And when we divert from that, We come up short in elections like the midterms. When we divert from that, we give the Democrats what they want, which is to play a game of squirrel with Joe Biden. They have sort of this odd relationship with Joe Biden. Now they support him for 2024, the donors and some of the political cognoscenti.
3: He's getting their support.
1: He's getting their support. They are putting their thumbs on the scale in Iowa, New Hampshire, to make it better for him, to make South Carolina, Jim Clyburn, South Carolina more important. Yet the voters don't support Joe Biden in all the polls. And the reason I say this to you is because they have this odd relationship with Joe Biden. That's on the one hand. The other hand, they want to pretend he's not the leader of the party. When people say who's really running the White House, I say Joe Biden. Well, he needs to be made to even own yeah. all of his terrible policies. And and the, the other leader of the Democratic Party is named Kamala Harris. Right. And let's not forget it. They and are so unpopular and unwelcome on the campaign trail for other Democrats. Nobody wants. They, but guess what? If your name is Biden and Harris and your names are on the ballot in 2024, you're going to have to campaign for Biden and Harris.
3: Absolutely. If you're, if you're a Republican trying to put together an effective strategy. When we come back about 2024, about the big attack on Harris from the left, what's that about? And Joe Biden feeling as though he is uh, – even though his poll numbers are pretty terrible – He feels as though uh, it seems like Democrats are uh, convalescing around him. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show on the road in Arizona outside Super Bowl 57 with Kellyanne Conway for a few more minutes. Don't move.
2: Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to to your your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade.
0: I, it drives me crazy when Republicans talk in an echo chamber about, you know, how bad, you know, the president is and Democrats. We got the memo as Republicans. You got to be for something. What I'm trying to do is kind of show that New Hampshire model, uh, show the opportunity to get stuff done. I've had Republicans in my legislature. I have Democrats in my legislature. I always get my conservative agendas done. We always cut taxes. We always balance a budget. And I can explain to folks in Washington what a balanced budget actually means. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are paths. And I think America is looking for results. We need results driven leadership.
3: So, what do you think, uh, Kellyanne Conway, about uh, Governor Chris Sununu, who looks as though we are going to see him as a presidential candidate, unless something happens? Uh, does he believe? Do you believe what he just said? Do well, Governor go
1: Sununu has been a great uh, leader, chief executive of New Hampshire, and uh, I know him; we're friends. I do want to ask, though, why we got wiped out legislatively, even though he was reelected overwhelmingly. We lost a lot of Republican legislative seats, and I do think the strength of any executive is it runs in part through your ability to keep that bench filled Mm -hmm. and keep the legislative populated with folks who agree with your agenda and will help you support and pass it Um, nationwide. I think he'll continue to be interviewed on major shows. I think he, why not uh, go and take a look at Iowa if you're Chris Sununu because you're very popular in New Hampshire. And also, uh, look, he supported a different candidate in the primary, endorsed a different candidate in the primary for the U- United States Senate. But once the Republican nominee there, General Baldock, was in place, I do think we could have done more to support him and get Maggie Hassan out there for uh, out of there for six years.
3: Most vulnerable one that was up for reelection.
1: For sure. Most vulnerable. And she did, she very clearly said, I don't want Joe Biden here. Um, and Joe Biden didn't go there. Uh, she, he was unwelcome and unpopular in New Hampshire. But I think, look, if the Democrats continue to thumb their nose at the voters of New Hampshire and Iowa, and try to switch their their primary and caucus system to start in South Carolina or whatnot, then I, I think the governor of New Hampshire. You know, can stake his claim there. That the big unknown in the 2024 cycle in New Hampshire is what kind of third-party independent candidates will be running. I think there are some very wealthy men and women who are looking at it, and New Hampshire's a place they can go pretty inexpensively right. and go traverse the place. Say, I'm an independent, like you are here in New Hampshire. Live free or die. You're not, uh, you're not bound by any party. That's a place where independent-minded. More okay. moderate, if you will, candidates think they can go and make noise.
3: So, a couple of things. Uh, on the fifteenth, Nikki Haley's going to officially get into the race. She called Donald Trump ahead of time, and he said, "You got to do what your heart wants you to do." Very magnanimous of him. Does he does he say that because he knows he believes that she's not a threat to him?
1: Correct. He he says that also. Look, everybody's going to run in part on the America First agenda. They're going to cl- stake their claim to being part of the Trump Pence accomplishments. But the problem for each of them is. Donald Trump can stand there on a debate stage. So if Nikki Haley says, I did this at the UN, and Mike Pompeo says, I did this as Secretary of State, and even Mike Pence says, I did this as Vice President, Donald Trump can turn to them and say, thanks for the free commercial about how great the Trump administration was. Thanks for reminding America right. of, about the Trump accomplishments. And you know, the thing that- And you
3: that, know what they're going to come back with, and it's going to be big when they when the rumor is that- Governor DeSantis says, I can't believe after January 6th that, that Donald Trump is even trying to run again. He's never said that out. It's been reported he said that. So when they turn around and point out different things that he did that, uh, that might be ill-advised, that's going to be interesting because they're going to sound a little like Democrats. Who attack for the personal thing? Yes,
1: and look, the voters decide who the nominees are. I think that we have this very odd thing going on right now where Joe Biden is increasingly getting the support of the donor class and the political cognizante, and the public is increasingly against him. The voters don't want him in all the polls. And it's the reverse for Donald Trump, oddly. The voters are still sticking with him, many of them, in the Republican primary and caucus system, and the donors and the political cognizante will never accept him. So we'll see how that plays out. I think that sounding like a Democrat and reviving the January 6th, Committee, which produced a report that nobody even it's talks risky. about anymore, yep. it's risky for them. And again, them doing it on a debate stage that's supposed to be appealing to Republican primary and caucus voters is also risky. And Donald Trump will probably turn around and have a nickname for each of them.
3: Right. And he is never really lost. He's never lost to a Republican.
1: Never lost. He had center stage. Look, he had center stage in that very first debate that Fox News hosted August 6, 2015 in Cleveland. Brian, we are less than six months away from the first debate mm-hmm. in Milwaukee for the Republican primary. Right now, there's only one announced That's candidate. Crazy, one announced yeah. candidate, Donald Trump.
3: I heard there was thirteen there on were. the Democratic side. There were this you. time. Yeah. Oh uh, wow, well, uh, Kellyanne, great to see. You. I know great you got to catch a flight. No birds. Sorry about your eagles, but you'll be back. Sadly, we'll as see you a giant in Las Vegas band. next year. <laughs> All right, and then two years after that, New Orleans. New Orleans. Who knows? Let's do it. Uh, thanks so much, Take Brian Kill Me Show On the road, keep it here.
2: News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmead.
3: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmead Show. 1 408 So glad you're here. We've got Michael Goodwin uh, standing by. Brian Billick, former uh, coach of the Ravens, assistant, and uh, of the Vikings, who'll be joining us. Uh, so that'll be great. Uh, and uh, of course, we're going to be reviewing what's going on. Also, we got some great news. Uh, we are now going to be on in Provo, Utah, thanks to the great uh, leadership of KIXR 1400 AM over in Provo. So we're going to be on live for three hours. So that's going to be great. And it is uh, the talk of Utah country. Um, so let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's
4: Brian's Big Three. Number three. hurts. As all day. Now some rushers come. Going to throw it as far as his arm can take it, which is well short. And the Kansas City Chiefs have won Super Bowl 57.
3: There you go. Super Bowl 57 in the books. Fans of all ages, shapes, and sizes outside of Philly have to be thrilled with the drama and quality. And MVP Patrick Mahomes come back and uh, let the Chiefs walk away with another Super Bowl win. We'll review the game, Rihanna, and commercials.
11: Number two,
3: you know, I think I think the grade would be incomplete, right? There's
10: there's plenty to do. Um, we know that it's a humanitarian issue down down at the southern border.
3: Uh, that is Congressman Pete Aguilar. <laughs> incomplete at the border? That's what one border state dem you just heard. Uh, called the president at the border, his policies. I call it incompetent, insidious, and subversive. Every state is expressing challenges from New York to Illinois, claiming overwhelming costs. Can anyone say the right thing for the country and not their party?
10: Number one. I have real concerns about why the uh, administration is not being more forthcoming with everything that it knows. In the absence of information, people's anxiety leads them into uh, potentially destructive areas.
3: Uh, that is uh, Jim Himes. Almost no information or explanation. Now we're up to four flying objects, balloons, airships, an extraterrestrial. Shot down in two weeks, and the administration's secret process is even upsetting Democrats. You just heard Mr. Himes from Connecticut. Tense times, made more intense, and leading to distrust. With me right now is, i tell you what, uh, Michael Goodwin, we've, been, we've had a lot of different topics, a lot of different names. But I never thought we'd talk about uh, balloons and what they are and who's behind them. I didn't think we'd be talking about balloon warfare and how equipped we are to handle them. But that's what we're talking about today.
11: It's it's quite something, isn't it, Brian? I mean, the the fact that the administration, either they don't know anything and they're embarrassed to admit it, uh, but already I think there are sufficient questions about, about the military aspect of this, uh, you know, that they had identified apparently some of these things just as – Unidentified. Uh, that was their category for them, uh, but we never knew that. We never knew such things existed uh, so so close. I mean, these are not things that are uh, flying around the moon. These are things twenty, thirty thousand feet in the airspace. Uh, so there's something really bizarre here. And if you talk to anybody who believes that uh, these really are UFOs and that they are from another place. Uh, the Air Force has certainly given them lots of ammunition by, the way, by its silence, and the administration, too. This whole, this whole thing has been going on for how long and what did we know and when did we know it? Uh, it's really quite something.
3: Some of the things that stick out with me, number one. Immediately they said this happens during Trump years. And immediately the Trump people said it did not. We, The D.I.N.A., D.N.I., the former CIA director, Donald Trump himself, the vice president. Because we didn't hear anything about this. And they said, right, because we didn't know what to make of it. We didn't tell anybody. Excuse me? But you know it was there, but you didn't tell anyone? Why? We went back and looked. Looked at what? Your old radar albums? And you found balloons that crossed? But, of course, it has to be something Trump did. And then... You shoot it down after it travels the country and lie to us and say, I can't shoot it down over Montana. When people in Montana, from the governor to the senator, say you can, it's no danger. Do you don't think they care about their children and their citizens? So they lied to us fundamentally when this all began, and then they take it down in the water, and they say it's easier to recover in the water. Then I'm talking to people like Navy SEALs that do this. They go, it absolutely is not easier to get things out of the water. So they're lying to us as we ask them. And then, possibly the most disturbing, you wait for Admiral Kirby to go 15 minutes into a press conference when maybe a planted question comes. We heard rumors about another balloon. He says, yes, shot it down. Excuse me? So why would we trust this process, Michael Goodwin?
11: Well, Brian, uh, you and I talk every week and it seems to me that Sooner or later, we get to a lack of trust in a federal agency, whether it's yes. the FBI or the White House or now it's the military. And, I, I mean, look at, look, at the, uh, look at what's going on in Ohio with that train derailment. I mean, where is the Secretary of Transportation? Uh, on this one. Uh, So, uh, I think what we have now increasingly is just this sense that the federal government is so big, it has taken on so many things that it has no business taking on, and meanwhile, it has neglected the basic things for which these agencies were created. Uh, And so, you have the FBI on Twitter, but not really catching enough bad guys to stop uh, heinous crimes, and here we have the military. What are we, what are we spending now? Uh, roughly eight hundred billion dollars a year, and they're keeping secret all these files. And then, they, and then for political purposes, they can trot it out in an instant. Uh, I mean, Mark, as, as long as Mark Milley is there, I will not trust what, what the military says from the White House because I think Mark Milley himself is just a. Is a partisan guy. He 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 wants to be a politician without ever running for it, uh, running for the job. Instead, he wears a uniform and acts like a politician. I think there's a lot of messed up things going on in Washington. And when you when you read social media, Brian, and you see how little trust there is for these agencies, it it. it it's a problem of its own because if if people don't trust the government uh, whether it be over vaccines or anything else they're they're less willing to participate in it, less willing to go along and I think we' see we're seeing this now mushrooming across a spectrum of agencies where you say. Can the United States government be trusted? And if the answer is always, well, I don't know, I don't think so, maybe, depends on the agency, etc.", I think we've entered a new phase here of where uh, the American people cannot – if they I cannot know. trust so their unhealthy. government, they're not going to cooperate with their government increasingly. And, and that is, that's a breakdown, the likes of which we haven't seen in this country, even in Vietnam. Uh, that right. era, where there was a lot of mistrust, and where where mistrust really took went to new new levels and if you follow the graph of public approval by uh, the big uh, research institutions like Pew and Gallup, they will show you that Vietnam, the Vietnam era, the lies that came out of Vietnam, the 5 o'clock follies, yeah. with, with the daily press conference, that started the breakdown of trust. But it has continued ever since, e- even now. So uh, I recently uh, d- wrote about, in the 1958, they started asking a general question. Do you trust the federal government to do the right thing all the time or most of the time? When they first asked that question in 1958, the answer was 74% said yes. We trust the federal government to do the right thing all or most of the time. Last year, the same question. The answer was yes, by 21 percent of the population. That kind of decline is a serious erosion of trust in the government. And not not many good things can come of it until the government Mm -hmm. will uh, either reform itself or let it be reformed from the outside.
3: Yeah, I want to tell you something. When Mayor Adams came out and praised uh, Mayor de for the mandates and the crackdowns and the firings uh, over the weekend, I wanted to throw up. And just such a letdown. We might have to do it again, and you guys got to learn to listen. Are you nuts? We're never doing that again, and we will never listen because you're not experts and you've already proven that your instincts are terrible generally. Uh, and that's where Governor DeSantis shined because he let people make their own decisions. But I digress. Uh, I want to talk about uh, what's going on on uh, on uh, on the China front. They say that we have done the same thing with our balloons into their airspace. And I want you to see the bigger story is our our, our mini war with China. Whether it's a cold war or not, it's going to be much more harder to win. Uh, then beating Russia, which, by the way, is uh, is no friend of ours either. Listen to what Chuck uh, Schumer said that China might be thinking. I don't agree with this. Cut 17.
7: This program is
10: going to have to be shut down now, hasn't it? The Chinese
3: aren't
0: going to be able to send balloons. Look,
7: I think the Chinese were humiliated. I think the Chinese were caught lying. And I think it's a real real step back for them. Yes, I think they're going to have to. I think they're probably going to have to get rid of it or do something because they look really bad. And they're not just doing the United States. This is a crew of balloons. We saw one in South America. They've probably been all over the world.
3: Really? Uh, Is China capable of feeling humiliated?
11: I, I think that's that's the problem, isn't it? I mean, that's the, look, the authoritarian model versus the democratic model, right? The authoritarian model uh, doesn't need public trust. It, it needs obedience. It's the democratic model where trust is so essential to the workings of the whole thing. And so, I'm not worried about China losing the trust of its people. It doesn't have the trust of its people. It's the United States that Schumer ought to be worrying about. He ought to be out there leading the charge to get this information to demand the military. But, of course, he doesn't because that would make the military and the White House look bad. And so our partisanship is is part of this problem of right. robbing people uh, of, of their trust in the government. It's, it's you know, when Chuck Schumer, if, if this were a Republican president right now, Chuck Schumer would be demanding answers because it's a Democratic president, eh, you know, not so much. And I think that's, that's a big part of the, of the nation's trust deficit.
3: Which is amazing because it was always a John McCain or a Mitt Romney or S- Susan Collins who would call out President Trump, and also Bush. There would be a lot of moderates, and I remember Senator Luger would, if they didn't like the way the direction of the war was going, to their I think to their credit, they'd say, "Listen, I got a huge problem with this." But you never see see that happening with Joe Biden, even though there's much more cause for alarm in my view. What do you think, Michael Goodwin, about the growing burgeoning? Uh, rancor between President Trump and Governor DeSantis as DeSantis gets his ducks in order to run for president. How do you think this plays out?
11: Well, look, they are they are the two heavyweights in the in the primary process. And it's very early. But I I think Trump Trump is trying to do a first-round knockout, or even a yes. even a warm-up knockout, trying to get DeSantis off balance and and trip up and you know get him before he gets going. Which suggests that Trump, I think, wisely sees DeSantis as the main threat. Look, if there is uh, a multi-candidate field, then Trump, with his twenty-five or thirty or thirty-five percent, could could prevail in the primary process. Um, if it's one-on-one with DeSantis, or <clears throat> really anybody else, but especially DeSantis, then it's a different story. So I think right now, Trump Trump is like trying, like a general in a war trying to shape the battlefield. He's trying to set the terms of the debate. And you know, sort of killed DeSantis in the crib. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to work. I, I think DeSantis has a following, has a record. And I just feel like there are enough people out there for whom this is this is one of the problems Trump has with a lot of voters. You know, this this nastiness, this personal attack, this sort of below-the-belt stuff, uh, It I think it just strikes people as this is not the formula. This may, be, this may be good for you, Donald Trump, but it's not good for the party. It's not good for the country to right. come out with this nasty dump right away. So I, I think that this could backfire on Trump uh, if DeSantis can withstand it. And if there's nothing other than mm. <clears throat> Trump's attacks and if there's no substance to it, then I think DeSantis, uh, w- if he passes this first test, he'll be, he'll be stronger for it.
3: Yeah, it's going to be very interesting because as Kellyanne Conway just told me, she was just here. There were 13 Democrats in the race by now. Uh, they're going, there's going to be a debate in six months in 2024. Yeah, it's going the to happen debate. very fast. So, so what are the? We know it's going to be, it's going to be Nikki Haley on Wednesday. We know that I think Tim Scott could very well be next. Then I think I think DeSantis will wait. The other person I think is going to be uh, pretty quick, I believe, is Glenn, uh, Governor Youngkin. If he can straight out straight now, what's happening with his education mission? So I think he would be next. Uh, it's going to be a good field. I think Mike Pence is just a matter, just a formality at this point, unless they find something really crazy in his classified documents who were found in his house. Uh, is there anyone I'm forgetting that's probably Pompeo. going to get in in the next two months? Oh, yeah, Mike Pompeo will be. Uh, that's a no-brainer, really. Yeah. So, I mean, it's going to be an interesting run. It's just that right now Donald Trump has to show a new wrinkle, a new nuance, if he's going to show how he's supposed to convince moderates and independents to vote for him. Have you seen that
5: yet?
11: I I haven't, no, and that's why I think the DeSantis attacks – Uh, maybe maybe working in some quarter of the game, but they're not they're not working. I think because Trump has to broaden his appeal. It it really isn't just enough. I think to to go for his base. That's what this kind of behavior is about. It's appealing to the base. It's riling up his base. Uh, right. They like you know a lot of a lot of people like like that kind of conduct. Um, <clears throat> I think it was refreshing once upon a time. But I've been saying for months that Donald Trump needs a new act. He needs something different. He needs to give people a reason to give him a second look. And and this kind of behavior, I think, does not do that.
3: I hear you. Michael Goodwin, always great. Read his columns, New York Post, Fox News Contributor. Back in a moment, 1-866-408-7669.
2: Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. a talk show that's real this is the brian kilmeade show
5: you either win or you learn that's how i feel you either win or you learn so you know, as always uh win lose or draw i always reflect on the things that i could have done better uh, things we could have done better to try and take um take that next step and
10: that, that'll that'll be the same process that goes on
5: now. And that's part
3: of the classy reaction that the Philadelphia Eagles have shown, and that is uh, Jalen Hurts played really well. Had one fumble he wanted to have back, just uh, you know, took the snap, and the ball just flew out of his hands. Uh, I don't know how an elite athlete does that, but they make mistakes like everybody else. And then he goes out and has an unbelievable game. He single-handedly took the ball. I think he ran it four times and then scores and, and got the touchdown back. And they were dominating. And then he played well in the second half. Not good enough. Not as good as an injured Patrick Mahomes. But rather than blame anyone and look at the field and uh, why would the ref make that call, he says you look back and things you could do better. And then you think about James Bradbury. He said, well, I did hold him, but I thought they would let it pass. That's pretty cool. So listen, uh, when we come back, I'm going to be joined by Brian Billick. We'll break down this game a little bit more and then take some of your calls. One eight six six we are on the road. Beautiful... Glendale, Arizona, site of Super Bowl Fifty Seven. Don't move.
2: A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
4: Here's Low sinking kick. Tony still up on his feet. Tony has a wall. It's another block. Tony inside the 20. Tony still going, and he's down to the 5.
3: Yes, and Kadarius, Tony, uh, the, the New York Giant uh, Giants loved him uh, until they got there, and he had trouble staying on the field. Then he had a bad attitude, and the Chiefs loved him all uh, for a while. So they said, listen, just give him to me. And they said, yeah, give me a draft pick. So we got rid of him. Giants did better. And as you see, he was able to step up at the right time with a very, very talented group. Join us now is uh, Brian Billick. He's used to taking challenging people when he was a uh, coach with the Ravens and Vikings and everything else. And uh, trying to get the most out of them. And uh, Brian Billick, of course, uh, won Super Bowl. What number was that? 35. Uh, at beat the New York Giants. Uh, coach, welcome back.
8: How we doing? Great, great uh, day yesterday, wasn't it?
3: Well, yeah, and so you're also you're working for the NFL Network now. Where would you rank this Super Bowl off the top of your head? Top five?
8: Well, it's pretty good. Anytime you can bring it down to the final series, it's a high-scoring game. You had turnovers, touchdowns. You had special teams. Yeah, I, I imagine this matches up with any from an entertainment value. Two really good teams. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt that the Eagles had a chance to get the ball back. They likely could have gone the length of the field. So, yeah, this was this was one for the ages.
3: But it didn't seem like that. Especially when you are the Kansas City Chiefs, and you know, it was 7-7 for a while, but it looked like the Eagles were a stronger team on both lines. And they were up 24-10, to and you had Mahomes limping off the field, and then you had Rihanna for 45 minutes dancing around. So you're not coming back out again, but it seemed as though the Kansas City Chiefs came out fired up with a new game plan. Were you able to detect changes in the Kansas City Chiefs game plan?
8: well they just they did it, you know they really didn't have a chance in the first half because of the way that Philadelphia manipulated the ball uh, ran ran down the clock I forget I don't have the numbers right here in front of me but it was overwhelming time of possession so we really didn't see Uh, what the game plan was of Kansas city had to get into any really rhythm other than that first drive. So when they came out in the second half and certainly kept it close as, as is typically the case, turnover for the touchdown, the, the the special teams play. So the, you know, this was a pick and game and it went down to a three point game and it took a special teams play and a great defensive play in spite of the great offenses. But I don't think we really had a chance to see what the Kansas city game plan was until we got into the second half and they were able to give a little momentum.
11: Yeah.
3: Uh, now the question is, uh, what happens after the uh, what happens after this game, uh, and, and how's everyone taking it? I caught up to candarius uh, Tony, Kondarius Tony, right after the game, uh, and he was an un- unlikely star late in the fourth. Cut twelve.
5: Feels surreal, man. You dream of making plays
7: in the Super Bowl, and you know,
3: you yeah, dream it, you say to yourself, "This is going to be my time." Fourth quarter, you know, it's going to be a catch here or there. I mean, whenever I get the ball, I feel like it's my time, so. Was that cold for you? Was that play cold for you?
4: Yeah.
3: Uh, talk about the punt return, if you would. I mean, just a shank ball and an opportunity. That was, it was, didn't seem a hole. You start on the left. Right. Can you bring us through it for someone who never experienced like that? The ball's in the air. You're on the left side of the field. Then. I get it. I mean, I see the defenders in front of me cut left, and I see the wall set up, and I just try to score. Is your heart start beating as you get closer? And you're saying to yourself, what am I doing here? Is this going to happen? Uh, Yeah, kind
7: of, yeah, yeah. It's kind of, yeah, you're nervous out there. You know, when you out there you're trying to score, trying to make a play, yeah. Like,
5: you really think about a whole lot at that one moment.
3: You know, did they tell you it was the longest punt return?
5: Yeah, they told Yeah, 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 they told me. I mean, I'm grateful for that.
3: If your career stopped now, you've already made history and you're a world champion. <laughs> yeah,
9: <laughs> thanks, but we've got plenty more
3: rings, plenty more records to set. Best is yet to come. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks for meeting you. You know he, you know he's been a handful for the Giant coaches. As talented as he is, they're glad to get rid of him. Have you dealt with uh, players like that? And and where there's just some some environments they won't work, and
8: others they will. Yeah, I mean it's the passion for the game, and and so often it's excused as that. Uh, but sometimes a player has to understand that his passion for the game is a drain on the team. Uh, that, that his approach to it, uh, you know, it's just can you be a professional? You hope they can grow out of it. You try to surround them. And like Mike Tomlin said, you, 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 I'll tolerate you until I can replace you. So that's part of the factor as well. And it was a great punt return. I mean, he saw it. You could see the, 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 the rush or the coverage of the Philadelphia Eagles was collapsing to one side, which typically happens because they're converging. Cause it was kicked to one side. He was able to break out once he got around, around that edge. Boy, what a huge play. Uh,
3: no question. So the, another question, uh, we're talking to Brian Billick, is who, who can get a head coaching job out of this? Uh, everyone's talking about Eric Bieniemy, an offensive coordinator, but Andy Reid does so much of the offense, maybe he doesn't get the credit he deserves. And the other person who's gotten the job gotten the job before but did another great coordinator job is Steve Spagnola. Here's he. Uh, he's for, this is his interview from the NFL Network, Cutting.
4: I give them a lot of credit. I think they got the better, office, better of us in a lot of situations I I was proud of the guys and the way they came out in the second half and at least got the game to where Patrick could get us ahead. Didn't like the long pass for a touchdown at the end, but one thing our guys do is they believe in the other guys on the other side of the ball that if we just hang in there, find a way to get a couple of stops, Patrick will find a way to get more points than they score. So thank God he did that today.
3: Would you give him another shot if you're a general manager or an owner out there, Brian Billick?
8: Oh, absolutely. Steve Spagnola is one of the really good coaches that I've I've known in all these years, Uh, uh, had the one opportunity, didn't come together in St. Louis and didn't come together for a lot of people in St. Louis. So I think you can hold that against uh, against him. But he's an outstanding coach. Uh, He's got a great template. He's got a great history having spent all that time with Danny and coming from Philadelphia and now in Kansas city, you know, I don't know. I mean, we're in a mode where it's, it's the young guru. You know, if you've had lunch with Sean McVay, you're going to get a head coaching job. So I don't know that he fits the mold right now, Uh, but he's an outstanding coach and would be someone that clearly teams ought to consider.
3: Eric B
8: yeah, Eric. Eric may have to go, and, and there's rumors that he may be going to Baltimore as the coordinator. And it's not Andy's fault, but simply kind of doing what he's doing. He's an outstanding coach. He's interviewed for head coaching jobs before, but kind of being under the shadow of Andy, uh, and that's that's it's not fair, but it is what it is. Uh, and Andy will tell you that he's a huge part of the offense. He's a big reason they've done very very well. But he may have to go someplace else as a coordinator and have similar type of success for people to really recognize. Okay, yeah. This this, this guy certainly deserves head coaching opportunities. It's because Andy's
3: so hands-on. Because a lot of times the best thing you can do is to be around a Bill Walsh, a Bill Parcells, a Bill Belichick. That gets you a job. But with would be enemy, being around Andy Reid, is preventing him from getting a job or getting the credit he deserves.
8: Yeah, and it's not fair. It's not right. And people can intellectually say, well, no, no, that's not the way we look at it. But the fact of the matter is that is that is part of it. So if, indeed, he goes someplace else to coordinate someplace right. else, that might be the best path, best path for Eric to then kind of get, under, get out from underneath that shadow.
3: We had a lot of Jet fans listening on WABC, uh, one of our affiliates here, and they hear that the Jets have formally reached out to Aaron Rodgers. They did this with Favre. They brought him in. Uh, it wasn't a big success until he went to Minnesota. Then he had another phase to his career. What do you? How does this play out?
8: Well, it's going to be interesting. You know, you have to be careful that that. And the Jets are a solid football team, but typically, and at least history has shown us that if you think you're that one player away, you're usually not. Uh, clearly, they've got to get the quarterback situation solidified, uh, whether it's the draft. Uh, and Aaron Rodgers would be a great pickup. But to just say, okay, boy, now we're ready to be a Super Bowl caliber team. There's a lot more that has to go and lo- goes along with it.
3: Even though they got the offensive coordinator that he knows,
8: Brian, right? That helps certainly. And having Nathaniel Hackett there and the familiarity they're going to have certainly would streamline that. Uh, but, but like I said, yeah, yeah, for the Jets fans, that would be a great pickup because mm-hmm. I still think Aaron Rodgers is one of the best of all time and I- can still do it. But you're going to have to wrap some more people around him.
3: Yeah, I, he's got the defense. Let's see if he can get they can get some people in the offense. It, it'll cost you about sixty million dollars, and we all get paid that, so it's it's not that hard yeah, to come right. up with. So, so uh, Brian, there's, uh, I know the documentary's out, the the Bullies of Baltimore. Uh, the guy that I miss on Super Bowl week more than never is Tony Saragusa. Could you talk about him?
8: Yeah, Tony was as you as you, and I I love the series. I thought they did a great job capturing the personality and the care I've yeah. always said that team had a lot of characters, but it also had a lot of character. And Tony was always at the center of that passion for what we were doing. And it was always team motivated. I don't, I don't think people realize because Tony was brash. He was a pain in the ass to coach, but boy, I tell you why what, come practice. Why was he a pain well, in the just, ass? Just because it was nonstop. He had that nonstop Jersey and that dialogue every <laughs> single day. He challenged you every single day, but I tell you what, I loved him as a player. He was great on game day, and he, he was kind of the emotional soul of that team, that, that confident, braggadocia, you know, athletic arrogance. So, yeah, we set it type of mentality, but he always followed up with it.
3: All right, so Brian, tell me about X-Tech shoulder pads. You can't talk about football and not talk about protection.
8: I'm so proud of it. I've been with them from the beginning, 12 years ago when Bob Broderick put this together. It was at a time when, what, A, take the head out of the game, which is so important. Well, that means shoulder pads are more important. And and B, the technology. Shoulder pads hadn't changed in 50 years until X-Tech pads. And now, you know, in the old days, big guys got big pads, old guys got little pads. But it's the reason <laughs> with the technology and the focus why we're the number one pad in pro football, college football, major programs, and major programs in high school because it's the best protection available for our young players. It's great to see parents getting involved going to XTechPads.com to want to make sure that their players have the best protection available for their young people in this great game. So we got this
3: lawmaker uh, who decides that he thinks that football should be banned for kids, tackle football, until they're 12 years old. Uh, How do you feel about that, Brian Billick?
8: Well, there's always going to be those people that just don't get it, you know, that don't understand. I mean, there are – whether it's a court, a field, a pool, a diamond, there are lessons to be learned as a team on a field of competition that really can't be learned anyplace else. Yes, it has to be regulated. Yes, you have to have good coaching. Yes, you have to have the right uh, equipment like X-Tech pads. But uh, I'm asked all the time. I've got two grandsons, and I'm asked all the time, do you want them to play football? And my pad answer is no, I don't. And I don't want them to drive. I don't want them to date. I don't want them to cross the street. I don't want them to do anything, you know, because I'm so protective. But you got to let them follow their passion. But you got to make sure they do it in a responsible way and are protected.
3: Yeah, and you, and you got to make sure you're in the right league with the right coach. You don't want a knucklehead coaching your kid. But I think his name is um, uh, Mike DeBenedetto in New York. He's putting this forward, and I'm just concerned it's going to pass, uh, and that's just just idiotic. Um, so we'll, yeah, we'll what, talk what about we that limit, again.
8: What are we going to limit less? You know, next, you know, I, 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 that's a slippery slope path. I can't imagine you want to go down. You're hurting the kids by limiting that way.
3: Absolutely. Uh, Coach, thanks so much. Always great to get your inside. The NFL Network's lucky to have you. All right. Thank you. You got it. one 7669 right. I'll take your calls. Yes, you'll have to call into New York. But I'm in uh, Arizona. But we have the technology to pull it off. That's how adept we are. You listen to the Brian Me Show. So glad you're here.
2: Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey,
3: welcome back, everybody. 1-866-408-7669. let us go to some uh, phone calls, and maybe we've been a uh, more to know. Hey, uh, Mike in WABC in St. James, New York. Hey, Mike.
5: Hello, Brian. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, the mayor of New York City went down to the border, El Paso. Yes. Met with the mayor. Yep. Do you know what he accomplished or tried to accomplish?
3: What I Would uh, you have an opinion on it? What he wanted to do is, I think, drew attention to it. I thought it was pretty effective. He said it was a problem. He went to the bad area, unlike the president. And yeah. I thought it great a relationship, but I don't think he solved anything.
5: Well, the buses are still coming. That's what I'm getting at, you know.
3: The buses are still coming up at forty-four thousand. So um, it's unbelievable what's going on. Uh, the mayor has not taken the, pulled the trigger and called out the president. It could actually begin to solve the problem. She he has not called out the governor because he's not getting state funds. Also, they're supposed to be evidently we're supposed to poison upstate too. So they want upstate uh, send some upstate New York. The governor hasn't okayed that. So he's at least speaking about it. But I haven't seen a pro a problem solver yet, Mike. And you saw the cover in the New York Post today. Yes. A crime is up almost in every well, way yes. except shootings.
5: Twenty five percent. Yes. Uh, another thing: when the president went to the border, we hear that he they cleaned up the area before he got there.
3: It's all true. It's unbelievable. They it's got rid of divorced. all the homeless too. Yeah, it is. But you know, he he knows that he knows what they're doing. He didn't want to see anything. This guy actually went to a police academy to watch a bomb-sniffing dog find cocaine, so that's why he went to the border. I mean, you got to see some of the demonstrations. So now they're in a desperate situation, and because they got the four million who've crossed, and keep your eye on this, because one of the things they're doing is they're letting these men and women apply in the country they're in. That doesn't mean – that means we're not going to track them anymore at the border. They're going to fly them into the border unless we can, in our case, spot them over at MacArthur Airport or in Westchester Airport. Thanks, Mike. John in San Diego. Hey, John.
11: Hello, Brian. Good morning. Hey, I want to talk about the the Goodwin interview. My mother, 85 years old, has been pro-Trump since day one along with me, and uh, we're losing confidence. Once once he started attacking her governor – she told me last night, um, uh, "I think I'm done with Donald Trump." I mean, this is a woman. If I criticize him over the last few years, I'm pro-Trump, but we all know he's made mistakes. She would get angry with me, and not even talk to me for a few days. So, uh, so I just want to say, very... if Donald Trump's listening to your show. Please stop it. Go on, argue on ideas, not personal attacks. That's all I got, Brian. Thank
3: you. And, you know, the other thing is the third rail is uh, DeSantis. Because he's doing the fight and he's been relentless and he's on a huge roll. This guy just took out—he just KO'd Disney, and he just fixed the the testing system and made it balanced. He took on sixteen nineteen in the AP course and won. Uh, Joel, listening in South Bend, Indiana, go, uh, WTRC. Hey, Joel.
11: Two things. One, I totally agree with the previous caller. If I was a political advisor for Trump, he doesn't even need to go there. He should totally ignore all the other candidates and just go about his record. He doesn't need to do that. The other thing is a stat that I learned on the internet, so it must be true, right? But (laughs) verified it with several different websites that if you took not $1 bill, but a $100 bill, and you put it in one stack until it reached a trillion dollars, it would be 631 miles high. And I wish somebody would prove me wrong, because that's a very, very disturbing. We're 19,000 miles in debt, and it's just, uh, I don't know, just wanted to know what you thought of that.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the debt is unbelievable, but when people bring up things like cutting spending, they want to vote you out of office. So which makes you put together a bipartisan council like Simpson Bowles. Uh, and you put that together and then a politician goes, yeah, I can't do that. Uh, that's uh, if I cut all this, these people are going to hate me. So I can't do that. So you got to have both parties buy into it. And it's got to be binding because who wants who, We know that Social Security is bankrupt in 10 years. Name me the politician that says I want to fix Social Security by raising the age or raising the contribution. No, that's not going to be good. Nobody wants to do that. So everyone keeps skipping over it and vilifies the other guy. So that's the issue. So listen, a uh, quick note. We're very happy to continue to announce the expansion of the Brian Kilmeade Show family. We are now going to be heard as of today. We're privileged to be in Provo, Utah, the talk of Utah County. Uh, KIX, which is uh, Radio 1400 AM, will be uh, live there for three hours. K-I-X-R 1400 uh, thanks to everybody that made that possible. And I cannot wait to hear from you at one 408 Brian Kilmeade Show on the road.
2: From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moment of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Just outside State Farm Stadium over in beautiful Glendale, Arizona. Side of Super Bowl uh, 57. It's their fourth Super Bowl. Arizona did great. They expected about 100,000 people. They said 77,000 plus in the building last night. They had a ton. Maybe they said 6,000 media members. Radio Row was pretty packed. Uh, It was totally empty on Saturday. I don't remember being totally empty like that. They say a ton of podcasts. Uh, And a lot of radio, but there's just definitely a lot of interest. People felt back to normal, in my view. Bill is going to be here at the bottom of the hour. He was at the game, uh, provided some great coverage and insight for us on TV, on One Nation. And Daryl Johnson standing by, the former Super Bowl winner himself, three times, NFL fullback. is now running the United States Football League, the USFL, which starts play shortly. And also, Daryl is now standing commentator with Fox uh, that will add Tom Brady in a year. So let's get to the big three.
2: Now, with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at
4: crunch.com. Number three. hurts has all day. Now some rushers come. Going to throw it as far as his arm can take it. Which is well short. And the Kansas City Chiefs have won Super Bowl 57.
3: There you go. Just like that, it is over. Fans of all shapes and sizes outside of Philadelphia have to be thrilled with the drama and quality of MVP Patrick Mahomes' comeback Chiefs win. We review the game, Rihanna, and commercials.
2: Number two.
3: You know, I think, I think the grade would be incomplete, right? There's, there's plenty to do. Um, we know that it's a humanitarian issue down, down at the southern border. Are you insane? Democratic Congressman Pete Aguilar? Agu- Aguilar? Who presides over district at the border gives President Biden an incomplete? Can somebody please act on behalf of the country and not your party, especially when you've broken the border yourself and you can't come out and condemn the president for doing that?
10: Number one. I have real concerns about why the uh, administration is not being more forthcoming with everything that it knows. In the absence of information, people's anxiety leads them into uh, potentially destructive areas.
3: You think, for example, like, for example, uh, unidentified flying objects are considered alien invasions? Why wouldn't I think that? The president's not taking the time to explain anything that's going on with Balloon Gate, except four flying objects at least in two weeks, most of which have been, all four have been shot down, and we're having trouble recovering just about all of them. I will not ask Daryl Johnston to tell me what's going on with China and their balloons. Daryl, you have enough on your plate.
7: Yeah, yeah, I, but I was prepared for Balloon Gate. I, I've done a little of You bit were? Up, so we, I we did, did not did. know that.
3: <laughs> you were good for a, a lot of preparation uh, in your day, and certainly as a broadcaster. First off, I know they're your teammates. How do you think the broadcast was?
7: I thought it was really well done. Um, and and for the first time out for both Kevin and Greg, I, I thought they were excellent. Uh, I, I like the rapport that, that they have with Mike Pereira uh, and the way that they when they have the opportunity to to go to the penalty, the way that that has worked throughout the course of the season. And that became one of the bigger, you know, points during the course of the game, that holding penalty at the end. And I, I like the back and forth between Greg as a tight end. Who kind of sees it one way uh, and Mike as the rules official who knows how the rule has been put in place and how it's going to be officiated and why there could be maybe that ah, I don't really see it there as opposed to no 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 this is exactly how it's supposed to be called so I
3: so who I thought, who was right do you think per- yeah, Pereira was right
7: I do I do because and here's here's my issue with it so defensive holding if you have a handful of jersey especially on separation in the, in the secondary that's holding. And, and James Bradbury has come out and said, yeah, I held. Um, it was the right call. He goes, I just, I didn't think it was going to be called at that point. Now that that's where I have a problem. It has to be officiated exactly the same first quarter, first half, second half, fourth quarter, holding is holding everywhere it's been. And they, they've taken the gray area out on the holding penalty where we see the gray area. Was it a forcible blow to the head of the quarterback on pass interference? Did he seriously impede the progress of the receiver to make a play on the football? They leave a little bit of subjectivity for the official to weigh in on, but not with defensive holding. So that's the right call. And unfortunately, it becomes a big play in the game. I think the one thing that I had an issue with is the the holding did not create the separation from where the ball landed and, and where... Juju Smith-Schuster was at the point of, of of the throw, so that that's why I think a lot of people have a little bit of trouble with this one. Catchable. Is, Wasn't catchable. Yeah, exactly. Did he did the hold really prevent him from getting that far down the field to make a play on that ball?
3: Yeah, and the, you know, to his credit, I don't remember when I've seen people say this. So being so honest, it was holding. He said, "I tugged his jersey. I was hoping mm-hmm. they would let it slide." Isn't that classy? <laughs> I mean, that's isn't that great?
7: Yeah, diffuse the whole situation because it is a huge play. It's you know that's it's going to be fourth down. There's a minute and forty-eight left. You're going to kick the field goal, and now Philly's got a chance to come down the field. And we're we're looking at our second overtime Super Bowl. So, for James Bradbury to come out and say it was the right call, um, don't don't get upset, don't get mad. Um, You know, it was a good route. I played it that way, but I had a handful of jersey, and you know, I I got caught.
3: Better team won?
7: Uh, that, it's hard to say that, right? You look at the, the, the stats to the game. Um, the team that played better that day um, may not have won, but the team that rose to the occasion in the second half did. And I think that, that that's the big thing for me is, you know, it, it's 24-14 at half, and Philadelphia is really, really playing well. Their, their one big mistake happened in the first half with the uh, the fumble and the scoop and score. Um, so, you know, you, you go into the second half, and, you know, we watch Patrick Mahomes go in at halftime. We're, we're wondering if he's even going to be able to come out for that first offensive series. You know, thank God for Rihanna in the extended halftime and, and giving him <laughs> some extra minutes <laughs> to get ready. Um, but he comes out in the second half, and he's 13 for 14 throwing the football but the big thing for me were two of the big rushes that he had on that ankle so I was just so impressed by Patrick Mahomes Um, you know we always refer to him as high tide quarterbacks you know they raise the level of play by everybody around them, and I think we all see Tom Brady as one of those guys Um, you know I I think Peyton Manning would fall into that category as well Uh, Patrick Mahomes is is definitely this generation's high tide quarterback Um, just all the changes in the offseason no Tyreek Hill you know, how is that going to impact this team? Well, they're more explosive. You know, they're more dangerous throwing the football. So that's, that's all Patrick. And you heard Andy Reid talk about him, you know, how he got everybody together last season. He knew it was going to be a different wide receiver group. But instead of waiting until, you know, OTAs to start building that chemistry and camaraderie, you know, he invites everybody down to Texas. And, hey, come on down. Let's start grinding on this. So you see the leadership. You see the moxie. You see yeah. the grit. Uh, he's just—he's just—he's this era right now is defining quarterback in the NFL.
3: So I want just for people that didn't have a chance to watch the game, or you want to relive the game. Here's the fourth quarter, uh, some of the moments. Cut six. Mahomes
4: in trouble, gets away. Mahomes racing with the bad ankle at all inside the twenty, and he's taken down. Mahomes. Pressure, lofting one, end zone incomplete. Juju Smith-Schuster couldn't catch up. There's a flag at the 10. prior to the pass, holding, number 24, defense. Butker, up, got it. Hurts, as all day, now some rushers come. Going to throw it as far as his arm can take it, which is well short. And the Kansas City Chiefs have won Super Bowl 57.
3: Now, you, you've done that three times, uh, Darryl Johnston. And what I'm struck by and what I I don't think I effectively relayed is how much this is a family win. You see so many family members and coaches come together for that moment. Could you describe that?
7: Oh, it is the culmination of of a a childhood dream, a a very, very big childhood dream. Um, And you watch it as a young boy growing up and you, you imagine yourself maybe one day, And then as you go through the different stages, you know, through your high school career, through your college career, will I get drafted? Will I have that opportunity? And there's so many forks in the road during that journey. Um, You you, you just hope that you make the right decisions at those times and you're going to have that opportunity. Uh, And and I remember when I got to Dallas, you know, we were 1-15 in my rookie year, and I saw some of my friends – that had been drafted the year before me, you know, the same year as I was, and they were going to teams that were in the playoffs. Uh, first year as a rookie, and I'm like, wow, they're gonna have, they might have a chance to, to win a Super Bowl. And I became the only guy, you know, in that group of two years that ever won a Super Bowl. And, and, and we started out one in fifteen, so you just, you never know. And, and then when you do have that opportunity, our first Super Bowl in right. California, you know, that that was the big thing. How many? How many family members can I get? How many people who are important for me, getting to this point throughout that journey, can I bring to the game? Um, so yeah, it is it is the ultimate right. celebration and, and culmination of a of a, a childhood dream and journey uh, that you had. A ton of people help you get there.
3: So Daryl, you also have a business goals, and you're a business person. Almost the second you left the field, and I think one of them you're getting closer and closer to attain. You just got over the. You got a promotion in the off season uh, with the United States Football League.
7: Yeah, we're we uh, you know, the the founder Brian Woods, um, you know, stepped away uh, to to pursue other ventures, um, and uh, you know, I've, I've kind of slid, slid into that role a little bit right now. Uh, I've got I've got a great group of people around me, uh, your son Brian being one of them, um, and it's just kind of getting. Everybody together again, and get them refocused on on what what we need to do this year. You know, let's we had an opportunity in the off season to pat ourselves and celebrate um, about what we did in the inaugural season and and being coming the first you know spring league in, in 40 plus years to to finish a season and crown a champion. that That's fantastic. Congratulations to everybody, but let's, let's get focused on year two right now. So uh, you, you make a great point, Brian. I, you know, I got out of the, uh, I got out of the broadcast booth and <laughs> it slid right into a, a completely different role and, and hit the ground running, but it, it's been, it's been awesome. Um, just a tremendous supporting cast around, around me to help with everything that we're doing in the USFL and, and to have a partner like Fox behind us uh, to have uh, somebody join our vision and our in our, uh, in our dreams, uh, like NBC, um, you know, to be a partner broadcasting our games. I, I, I don't know when you watch football for me, it's America's game of the week on Fox and Sunday night football on NBC. And for us as the USFL, uh, as a startup spring league to have those two entities, you know, commit to doing the production for us is, is just unbelievable.
3: So you're coming back. I know one of your players was an all-pro with the Cowboys this year, uh, and there's a lot of great players in your league. I saw it up close and personal. I went over to Birmingham where everybody played. This year you're going to be in Memphis, you're going to be in Detroit, you're going to be in Canton, and you're going to be uh, back in Birmingham, correct? So we're going to get correct. a chance little by little to see these, these franchises go in to get closer and closer to get to, the, to their own cities.
7: Absolutely. We we just want to be smart. Um, You know, we we want to make sure we're being fiscally responsible as as we start to roll out our plan um, and and to be able to to get to Memphis. And that was a hard one, right, because the Tampa Bay Bandits were part of year one um, and and we saw an opportunity to, to bring the Memphis showboats on board in year two. So we kind of shuttered the Tampa Bay Bandits franchise, just moved the entire staff, the entire roster over to the Memphis showboats. Um, You know, that will be a a great experience with uh, the Houston franchise and and the Memphis franchise there. Canton was so much fun for us last year. Uh, They they were such a great teammate, such a great partner for our playoffs. You know, we really wanted to do something there. So we're able to tie in the Pittsburgh franchise. It's about an hour and 15 minutes away, you know, Canton to Pittsburgh and, and bring in New Jersey there with them. Uh, and be able to continue that relationship with the Hall of Fame and everybody in Canton that made our playoffs such a success last season, uh, and, and it really kind of legitimize us in Detroit, uh, you know, to be able to play at Ford Field um, and kind of tap into that Michigan Panther fan base up in uh, in Michigan. You know, everybody we we talked to there remembers, you know, the, the touchdown pass, you know, you know, from Bobby Earbier Bobby Hebert to win that championship. Uh, you know, it's just it, it's fantastic. Bye. So we'll have Phil and Michigan, you know, up there in our fourth hub, and then it'll be New Orleans and Birmingham, our defending champion down and Birmingham again. But yeah, exactly how you said, let's do a slow roll. Let's start getting into more of these markets. The big thing for us was, you know, Birmingham had 10, they had 10 home games last year. And that, that was really hard for our other seven teams, um, you know, to go into that environment where everybody was, was pro Birmingham stallions, even though you might be the home team that weekend. So, you know, in, in the other three games on the weekends, we had some empty seats that were in the background, you know, during our broadcast because we were doing double sky cam and we're doing drone coverage. So as we pushed the envelope with our production value on television, we were exposing ourselves to empty seats in, in some of the non-Birmingham games. And that was one of the things that, that our fans said, hey, you know, what, what can you do there to, to cure that? So we thought by rolling out into multiple hubs this year, you know, maybe right. let's not do two, let's do four you know let's 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 kind of accelerate this one a little bit and see let's let's take on a little bit more and and really kind of spread that that home that home crowd advantage that home crowd opportunity to more of our franchises in year two so that that was one of the big pushes and and one of the big reasons why we went to four in year two and, and instead of right. maybe just going to two a
3: lot of great players there's you know in in baseball there's a a uh in uh basketball not only you can go to europe and play and you can play in uh their g league uh, in every sport, They're not football, America's number one sport, and now now that is not the case. The USFL has got the XFL as uh, as a precursor now, and I guess you guys are going to be locking horns with the Rock, but uh, I like your chances, and I'll tell you what, uh, seeing those two ads at the Super Bowl certainly told a lot of people that you guys are back and you tapped into the history with Fluey and Walker, uh, as well as Jim Kelly and Steve Young. Be interesting to see some of those faces on the sidelines. Daryl, congratulations. You're one busy guy from broadcaster to now executive vice president of football operations. Appreciate it, Daryl.
7: I'm just trying to stay as busy as you are, Brian. I, I, I still think that there's three of you out there somewhere. I think you have been <laughs> cloned, and, and we just don't have the proof yet.
3: I just have one employer, not you. you got three. Uh, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Daryl Johnson, thank you. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about what's going to place with this uh, Chinese drone, since Daryl would not touch it, even though he had pledged to, but I kept him away from it. And at the bottom of the hour, Bill Hammer will talk about everything. Remember, Bill Hammer, the, the famed co-anchor of America's Newsroom, started in sports. Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hey, welcome back, everybody. one 408 7669 Appreciate everybody being there. I just want to go over uh, one thing. Ian Brenner reports, and this guy is so tapped in. The president, she did not know about the extension of this balloon program that allowed a intelligence, uh, I would say surveillance ship, to go transverse the continental U.S., so he writes about that today. They say communication that the U.S. have picked up uh, shows that President Xi, even though everybody thinks he's in charge of everything, actually says the, the military can kind of do their own thing. So it makes you wonder how to handle things like this, what they're telling the truth about, and what they're not telling the truth about. I know when you think about what was going on with the pandemic that they started, the word was if you watch, you see the lab, get, the lab can't, uh, contaminating uh, Wuhan. And you see people being forcibly thrown into apartment buildings uh, and kept in gyms and some just dying in hospitals. And there was reluctance to tell the president, reportedly, how bad things were because they all thought they were going to be sentenced to death themselves or put in jail for allowing this to happen. So what happens? The whole world gets poisoned. I hope we can get on top of this. I said one of the big challenges is that we have no de-escalation system. For example, our Secretary of Defense calls up to China and asks to talk to his counterpart. The guy doesn't pick up the phone. I mean, is that, is that, their ver- is that a red button? Even with Russia at the worst moments, for the most part, there was a communication set up. But the other thing with China is they have no limitation when it comes to nuclear. Because our nuclear agreements with Russia, not with China, means there are no rules. They're going rogue is not, rogue is not breaking any rule.
2: Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everybody.
3: Brian Kilmeade coming here for the last 25 minutes of this hour, coming to you from beautiful Glendale, Arizona, where it is beautiful in the afternoon. Not great if you do a morning show where it's 32 degrees, right? And it's not really much better if you do a show that follows the morning show uh, at 9 o'clock Eastern time and 7 o'clock local time where it's 36 degrees. A little bit surprising, Bill Hemmer, am I right? Yeah, i I'd say. Well, I
6: mean, it's not that it's 32 degrees. It's just that we dressed thinking it's sixty two degrees because it's the desert
3: <laughs> I mean we see how happy everyone seemed in Arizona. I thought I should dress down
6: right right, right. Yeah, I mean if I just that.
3: just one under how much uh-huh. room would that have taken well, in my I, bed? I
6: think when you check the apps back home on the weather apps and every day it says seventy six and sunny, you're thinking I'm in pretty for a pretty good ride here yeah um, that that wasn't the case
3: well they should do if you' if you are working our weather app right now on Fox weather and it's free. Put comma. Uh-huh. 70 degrees unless you host a morning show or the show that follows the morning show. Right? Well, you you had it worse than I did. I did. Yeah. Right. But, I mean, the crew has it the worst. Yes. I mean, they got to sit there. No,
6: but they're all wearing down jackets. That's true. they are got so much smarter than us. <laughs> they got this. mittens and hats on and right. all that stuff. So, my what's have, up?
3: My IFP was keeping me warm. So there's a report by Ian Bremer right now yeah. uh, that just came out that says that President Xi was not in the loop on these balloons transversing. Our communication revealed that he was not in the loop. The military has a bit of autonomy, and they were able to do this on their own. Mm -hmm. And that we have no lines of communication to de escalate like we did with the Russians and Soviets. He, He confirmed that, or he. According to his sources within the government, Uh that our surveillance of their communication reveals that. So
6: if true, uh, some were talking about this about a week ago, that the PLA, the People's Liberation Army, does their own thing. They they do their own thing in cases like this, and uh, in many cases, sorry, uh, this case included. And it may explain as to why they didn't take Lloyd Austin's call last week, because they didn't have their story together. And if you're Xi Jinping, you're probably pretty ticked off about it. Right. Um so if that is true then then China's trying to figure something out. Uh, with regard to us. What are we doing? What were I these things? Know. Who do they belong to? Were they all Chinese? Were, were they Chinese and Russian? Were they something were they is it possible that there was I mean on a list of options Brian was one of these objects that we took down part of the National Weather Service? Right. I mean, you're flying over, a, you know, you're not flying over Anchorage, Alaska. You're not even flying over Fairbanks. You are north of the Arctic Circle. Right. You're flying over the Yukon Territory yes. in Canada. I don't know anyone, and I've been alive for a while, I don't know anyone's ever been to the Yukon Territory.
3: No. Wasn't that a TV series, though? <laughs> I feel like there was a – Daniel Boone, did he walk through there?
6: Daniel Boone? No, Daniel Boone would have frozen his ass off. Because he had USA. just that hat and no weir Just ear the flaps. hat, nothing else. Right. I mean, you thought you we, were cold in
3: Arizona? How many squirrels can you kill? I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean it's unbelievable. <laughs> no, raccoons. Oh, that's true. But, you know, so we might be hurting, uh, we might be hurting the weather channel. But we might not be hurting China, except for the first one. Listen, I tell you. But dude, I, the biggest story, the problem is, is the Montana story. Don't shoot it over Montana. Are you kidding? No, Let I get it. Let it go over nuclear sites. I get it.
6: But, you know, Mark Thiessen was on with us just now when we were freezing outside. And he said, look, this balloon or whatever it was, this flying object was over Lake Huron, which is Michigan. Well, where was it before Michigan, and how did you not spot it prior to then, if this is something that you consider to be so questionable that you had to fly an
3: Air Force jet and shoot it out of the sky? Right. And by the way, it's a little costly. Aren't these, like, to get an F-22 in the Uh, air and take a sidewinder missile to blow up a balloon
6: (laughs) the size of a uh, Chevy Tahoe? I I believe the estimate was $400,000
3: a shot. Wow, really? That's unbelievable. That's how much I paid last night, but it's the Super Bowl, and I just thought it's worth it, and you know, and it did have that, that kick to it. But uh, here, hey, all,
6: all kidding aside, before you roll this clip, you could tell, by
3: the way, yes, I could. Okay.
6: Americans have the weekend. And Americans have their own distractions because they're living their own lives. And then you got the Super Bowl thrown in there, too. And so most of America, at least 100 million of us, are getting ready for a Sunday afternoon party with family and friends. I get it. There could be a distraction that takes you away from the attention for whatever these objects are. But if the White House, if the Pentagon, if the president, doesn't give us some guidance, direction, and answers today. It is an absolute. Uh, sorry, it's an absolute dereliction
3: of duty. Right. Do you want to hear from the president? You told me on TV. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to see that press secretary but more than this, because they don't tell her more anything.
6: More than this. Not only do I want to hear from him. This is an he oppor- want This
3: it. is an opportunity
6: for him. Take control. Be Reagan. Tell us what's up.
3: Now can I roll a clip? Yes. Thank you. Wow. So, you don't like that being in charge, do you? No. <laughs> right. Cut to twenty-four.
10: But Captain what I'd Brett really Sandler. be curious to know about because of where it flew over, where we have our strategic nuclear assets, is did these did these balloons also have the ability to detect radionuclides and maybe having other more sophisticated sensors to try to pinpoint where our strategic arsenal is located? And that would be an indication of perhaps a chaining Changing nuclear posture in Beijing, there's been speculation of them changing from a no first use to a launch on warning, which would be a significant change in their nuclear deterrent posture. And this could be a preliminary indication of that.
3: So he's a former military diplomat in Asia. He's Captain Brent Sadler, now retired. He was on last night. And here's the thing. They now have more. Um, uh, they have more. ICBMs, mobile and fixed than we do. Did not know that. At first there were so many silos we thought it could have been a deception about two years ago but it turns out they're full. And number two is we have no nuclear agreement with them. See, the Russians are breaching the one we signed but now China doesn't have a nuclear agreement so they're not breaking anything. And by the way, they're not looking to be reined in.
6: Yeah, Uh, that's a good point about this uh, nuclear agreement with Beijing. You know, um, what he talked about there is highly sophisticated warfare and uh, a balloon sounds like such a rudimentary thing to be like. looking However, at this. they say it, you can I, stay and I dwell guess, in I a... guess, I guess, I guess. I don't know. I don't know these answers. I'm not trained in this. I don't study it. But right. I just think when you're talking about intercontinental ballistic missiles that you're going to get gr- much greater information off of a satellite reading than you a balloon. I, I know it can hover. It can linger longer. But I don't know. It just seems like you have to go much more sophisticated than this thing. to If, if you're going to recalibrate your own nuclear program.
3: Let's talk 2024. Let's just have some fun. Okay. Because I'm watching the channel. What we're doing is doing balloon. Right? Well, I mean, okay. All right. People are interested. So I'm not saying, I mean, I don't know if you're upset with my format. No, 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 no. Oh, I'm (laughs) sorry. I'm sorry. Please. Don't read the room incorrectly. (laughs) No,
6: I'm having a blast. Um, Oh, yeah. It's interesting. Absolutely It is.
3: And we'll talk about. Can I tell you one more thing about
6: this? We're in the State of the Union last week on Tuesday, and all these administration officials in the White House were pretty much saying, "Hey, we we did our job. We we did the right thing." And and I'm thinking, I don't know. I was just traveling for the last four days, and every single person I came across, all they could talk about was this balloon. And you, the the whole thing, it it traversed the lower forty-eight. Right, and you took no action. I'm to think that this was. Mission accomplished off the coast of South Carolina. It's either tone deaf or
3: mm, tone deaf. John Tester, Democrat, extremely upset. John Himes tried to be diplomatic, Mm -hmm. but says the Democratic
10: congressman and ranking member of the Intel Committee. The Intel Committee, cut 14. We didn't hear about the first balloon until it until it was over Montana. Uh, And again, I think there may be reasons for it. But and and maybe it's because I'm in politics and so spend a lot of time talking to folks in grocery stores and town hall meetings. You know, in an absence of information, people will fill that gap with anxiety and other stuff. So I wish the administration was a little quicker to tell us everything that they do know. That's interesting.
6: Democrat, yeah, from Connecticut, yeah, yeah. I think it's very interesting too, yeah. And I, th- I think his reading of the room is precisely right. In grocery stores, people are telling me this. That's, That's what I get. That's America. Yeah. That's what I get too. I think John Tester voices too, and he should because he's representing Montana. I heard Lisa Murkowski a few days ago go off in a way that I have never heard her before. She's usually reserved, takes it very no highs, no lows, just. Steady on just about every issue. She was going off about what happened over Alaska. Ticked off, right? And
3: even the one we shot down, it was in Alaska. It already breached. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, I want to talk about twenty twenty four. I think that when uh, tomorrow Valentine's Day, tomorrow uh, Wednesday, uh, Governor Haley, mm. Nikki Haley's going to get in. Yeah, mm. you didn't know that?
6: Yeah, tomorrow's Valentine's yeah. Day. Yeah, that's right.
3: All right, that's my fact check. I don't have to <laughs> call the brain. Thank you. So, and then the fifteenth, Nikki Haley's officially going to get in. At this yeah. point, there were 13 Democrats in, and there were a bunch of uh, there was only one Republican because we had a sitting president. Thirteen Democrats were in the race by now, in six months we're going to have a debate. Nikki Haley, the first in, um, Chris Sununu could be next. He talked over the weekend, yes. cut 29.
0: I, it drives me crazy when Republicans talk in an echo chamber about you know how bad you know, the president is and Democrats. We got the memo as Republicans. You've got to be for something. What I'm trying to do is kind of show that New Hampshire model, uh, show the opportunity to get stuff done. I've had Republicans in my legislature, I've Democrats in my legislature. I always get my conservative agendas done. We always cut taxes. We always balance a budget. And I can explain to folks in Washington what a balanced budget actually means. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are paths. And I think America is looking for results. We need results-driven leadership. So he
3: wants to be for something. He thinks the party, last week he made news because he said uh, the party's moved past Trump.
6: Yeah, sounds like he might be running too. I I like him a lot. I think if people get to know him on a personal level, he is who he is on camera, uh, on microphone, and in person. And I think he's done a lot of good things. What he'll tell you about his time in New Hampshire is that he loves being a governor because he believes he can get things done. They came to him to run for the Senate. And they pretty much said, hey, man, it's a great job. You're going to win automatically, and you only work half the year. And, he's, and he told me this. I'm like, go ahead. I won't tell you who told him that. But he said, why in the hell would I want that job? You're telling me I can get out of my job as a governor where I'm helping people every day with what I'm doing and the decisions I'm making? You want me to go to Washington and work half the time? He said, that's lazy. Yeah. Uh, But he's a good governor. I don't know if he could be effective nationally or not, but he'll have an interesting message. I think Nikki Haley will have an interesting message. Um, And I I guess we wait to see what DeSantis does. I don't know where you are on this, if you're on the 51 or the 41 or 49 percent side of it right now. Um, But I look at the Washington Post numbers from a week ago when it comes to Trump, Trump versus the rest of the field, Trump versus Biden. If I'm Donald Trump, I feel pretty good about my position. Not for donors, though. Maybe, maybe not. I, I know where a lot of them stand. And um, I know they're trying to take him out. I am easier said than done. I think the grand strategy is, at least for the Republicans who don't want Trump to run again, because they don't think they can do well um, with him at the head of the ticket, is that they want to get down to a one on one race, which means you got to get through Iowa. You got to get through New Hampshire, and then pick somebody, and then you got to get through South Carolina. Yeah, and then maybe at that point you get it down to a two-person race, and and then you can prosecute the case against Trump in a primary. I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe it can work, Um, but I saw this. I
3: saw this in 2016, and it failed miserably. So I'm I'm doing this show. Who is Ron DeSantis? And I went to Fox Nation. Fox Nation. Talk to, I talked to his coach on the phone. I wasn't able to do the interview, but I talked to his coach for 45 minutes, two 45-minute two conversations. Mm-hmm. They're still very tight. He lives over in Tampa now. And his high school baseball – and all the anecdotes, they're not Be- selling – Baseball. Baseball. Yeah. And he said that – he went up to me and he said, uh, hey, coach, would you write me a letter of recommendation? And he said, you know, typical coach, me, I'm putting it off. Finally, I just said, called him up. I said, you've got to get me your grades. I need something to write for law school. So he went to – Yale undergrad, yeah. Harvard uh, Law. So he said he looks at his grades. He had a, he had all for over 4-0 in every single wow. course while being captain of the freaking baseball wow. team. Wow, Impressive. So he never said a word about it. So mm-hmm. understated. He said he was kind of quiet, but everybody wanted to be around him. So I'm like, that's interesting. Then he went and he said he had all these opportunities, and he said, I got to serve. And he goes overseas. And yeah. He says, I've never had somebody Became say that. A
6: jag, him. right?
3: Yeah. Uh, he's an
6: impressive guy. I think he lives his life uh, in a hurry. I think he lives his life at 120. I like I like that term. Yeah, 100, what's uh Live your life in a hurry? Yeah. Um, look, he's 44, and a lot of people say, hey, you're young and you got time. Uh, I don't think that's an argument that he buys. Um, he has set out to get a lot done in a short period of time.
3: Right. Well, the problem, the thing he can run against Trump on right away and say – Hey, I like the guy, but he's a lame duck. It's a disaster. When you become a lame duck, you only really have six months to get things done. Number two, he doesn't know how long he'll be this hot. I mean, he takes on Disney and wins. He takes on the Regents or the AP exam and wins. There could be some – he mm-hmm. could have a hurricane that's yeah. untenable and he gets blamed for. Yeah. You know, so – you know, And then all of a sudden, the bloom comes off the rose and there's some other stud. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, I
6: agree with that. Um, I think history will reflect that. Uh, Brian Mulroney, former Prime Minister of Canada, told me a great story. I said, I said why do people pick public life? Yeah. And he, he, he ran like Barrick Gold, and he was mining all over Western Canada. Had to give it all up to run politics and move his family to Toronto or uh, Ottawa. And uh, he said, because at a particular moment in history – you believe that you can have a direct impact on that historical arc, and that's why you do it. Got it. I thought, wow. Okay. So DeSantis is one of those guys, right? and this might be the moment he
3: picks. So, you know, Eric, who's back in New York, he's in a hurry. Mm, he it. wants to run. Right pick. on. Back in
2: <laughs> Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: All right. So we talked a little bit about 2024. We didn't talk anything about uh, this game and this legacy and the offseason. I think it's going to be fascinating. To see if Aaron Rodgers leaves, he's in a dark room right now. Right? Yeah, is he going
6: to go to the Jets? A <laughs> Dark room
3: right. He's going for four nights in yeah, a dark room.
6: Yeah. Well, I don't know what you get out of that. Right. What do you get out of that? I'm not sure. Bad dreams.
3: Yeah. Maybe the truth. It's. I think it's torture. Ooh. Oh my God. Well,
6: um, um, does he go to the Jets? I, I don't know. I get. I mean, that was the talk here in Arizona, but I, I have no idea. You know, 59 million dollar contract. They're going to pick that up. I guess they could. You know, look. If you if you're listening to your show right now. And you're, you're a football nut. And, you know, <clears throat> the salary cap is a, is a big deal. Now, it's a lot of money, but it's a big deal for any team. How you structure that determines, honestly, how you win today. Go back three days ago and read the piece in the Wall Street Journal about how the Chiefs structured Mahomes contract three years ago, paid him five hundred million dollars. I, I admit that I was I was like, wow, they overpaid for this. This is a quarterback who runs with his hair on fire in every play. How long can he last in his league, in this league? Kansas City has proven that's a way to win under the current structure of the NFL. I highly recommend it.
3: Right, because you, because you don't know what the, the way these quarterbacks are getting paid right now. Well, I'm a Cincinnati I
6: mean, fan. You know, Joe Burrow's about to get a big contract, and right.
3: Burrow wants to
6: win. So yeah. how does Burrow go in and structure this contract so that he can keep his
3: best players on the team? Can I make a suggestion? In? You may. You should get rid of him now because he's <laughs> going to get old in 10, 15 years. You don't want to be stuck I with him. I don't think so. You don't we're, think so? No, we're sticking with him. And then get some picks. You uh, get some picks, get uh, some threes and fours.
6: I've been down that road. I tell you what, you know what? Uh, Three-quarters of that game last night, I was like, Philadelphia's going to win this game. And they're, they're, they are gonna, they are going showing the NFL a different style of team. Big offensive line. Big defensive front. Kansas City warmed down. Yeah,
3: I couldn't believe this transformation in the fourth. Could not believe it. Right. And also, get on the treadmill if you're a Philadelphia uh, Eagle. Why? Get yourself in shape. Right, you can't be fading
6: in the fourth quarter. You know what is the intangible of the big game, and sometimes you just don't
8: know Phil. how you're going to react under the big Bill Hemmer at the border
7: tomorrow. Got it. See you from Yuma.